Hello and hail! We have finally made it to the end of the Ebonheart arc, but endings are sort of difficult to pull off, especially when you're improvising them in a video game. So what you're hearing right now is Nilfane's story, and two days from now, if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, you'll be hearing the end of Sings by Moon's story. So there will be a part one and a part two in your feed, both released in the same week. And then next week, we will be recording our sort of uh, game in the RPG, the G in the RPG segment, and then also reading listener stories. And then from there, we will be moving on into our next storyline, which we're pretty excited about. This has been a crazy experiment that we did not really know what we were doing with, and now we have a pretty good idea of what we want to do next. We're very excited. We hope you guys are excited. We hope you guys will join in on the fun. And uh, for now, please enjoy the end of Nilfane's story. Nilfane just having finished up his quest in the Lake Ilanalta fortress, this, this sunken fortress where he was sent to find uh, Azura Star. He's a little bit beaten up now. He's a little bit worn down now. Um, he's taken some serious injuries, at least more serious than anything he's really um, experienced in a long time. It's been a, it's been a rough couple weeks for Nilfane. So he, he climbs up from this lake into the surrounding cliffs. You know, he's out near Whiterun, and he looks back out over the area, and he can't help but shake the feeling that he'll never return to this place um and he starts to think you know maybe maybe it's time that he left skyrim maybe it's time when he completes this quest to say goodbye to this strange unwelcoming place known as skyrim it's a strange place for a dunmer to find his ancestors and to connect to his family name uh, a stranger place still to become a major player in the dark brotherhood to swear vengeance against necromancers and all things undead and to become the servant of Azura at the behest of prophecy and ghosts. He never in his wildest dreams would have ever imagined that this was the path that he would follow when he was captured at the border of Skyrim more than a year ago. But all around him, as he's up on these cliffs looking down, all around him the birds are chirping. Spring is actually in full bloom or as full as possible as in Skyrim. He sees a fox down below swimming in the lake where he just battled necromancers, this, this peaceful little animal, just a little critter, just doing its thing. And now, all of it's fallen silent, this fortress that he's looking down on, it's quiet. There's no chanting, there's no horrified moaning coming from there. There might not be ever again, he, he killed just about every one of them in there. there maybe there's one or two, but Nilfin thinks he did enough damage that they're not going to be operating the same way that they had been before. And he thinks about the battles that he's just had down there. And he thinks about the fact that, really, for all that he's done, joining the Dark Brotherhood, even joining the Thieves' Guild, his hunting, his fighting necromancers, or vampires, whatever it is, whatever path that he was choosing, even when he went to go join the Dawn Guard, or he's never really been anything more than a weapon, a weapon for himself or for somebody else. Through his actions, he's he sort of forged himself into a sword. And that's not necessarily an unsettling feeling to Nilfane. A sword, a weapon, is something that brings death. Sure, it's something that brings violence, but but a, but a sword, but a weapon, it has a purpose. And, and he, in some ways, believes it now, especially that he's on this path with Azura, he believes he is serving a purpose, an actual purpose. The sky is perfectly blue when he heads north. 
and when he returns to the shrine, the shrine of Azura, there is no trace of the storm, and he can see every star. Night has fallen now. The first time he was at Azura's statue, her shrine, the wall of storm that surrounded this place was nearly impenetrable, and it was one of his greatest trials was just climbing the mountains just to get to this shrine. But now it's perfectly clear. He can see the stars. Everything's great. Aranea, the prophet, the Dunmer, who told him of this prophecy that he was supposed to uh, fulfill for Azura. Aranea takes the broken star, Azura's star, uh, and says that Azura will restore it, but he must speak to Azura himself. So she sort of chants or, or prays to Azura, and then suddenly Nilfane, he, he hears Azura speaking to him, and it's a lot more deliberate and upfront than the ancestors' voices have been. This feels like true spiritual or true psychic communication, sort of. Whereas these these ancestors, these ghosts, seems like there's something like far away that is struggling to reach him, sort of. This this is deliberate and like in your face. And after a short amount of dialogue, she's basically like, "Hey, Nilfane, thanks for the favor. However, Malin, the necromancer who stole the star, his soul is still trapped within." Azura star within this soul gem causing it to be corrupted she can fix the soul gem but she can't purify it until he's gone so she sends Nilfane inside the star into this crystalline shimmering dream and he doesn't he's literally trans- transported inside of a soul gem and it's like being inside of like a, like a snowflake or a shard of glimmering ice there is just these crystalline light blue beams of of soul of energy i don't know he doesn't know how to describe it but he walks in and sure enough he sees who he believes to be malin the only glimpse he had of him in real life was of a skeleton so but he he turns to him and he knows he knows immediately and he says you can't escape your fate malin fate and death are one and the same and Malin is having absolutely none of that. He says he's not going to let Nilfane take him. He says this is this is his territory. He's not going to let some outsider come in and screw around with him. And Nilfane's like, okay, here we go. He takes a few steps forward. And then something appears. A Dramora churl. It's it's this horned Darth Maul looking motherfucker. And it's it's casting fire. It's a demon and it's... Nilfane has seen a lot of things, but he has never seen a Dramora before. He's never seen a demon like this. The space is rather limited, so Nilfane has no choice but to rush at this Dramora and try to take him down as fast as he can. The demon tries to hold him off with a weak fire spell while it prepares something a bit stronger in its other hand, but Nilfane doesn't give him the chance. He loses himself in the act, this, this, this killing. Steps away from himself and becomes his blades, swirling, slashing, killing. The Dramora crumbles to the ground, its fire gone out. Good, Milfane thinks. Even demons can die. He turns back to face Malin. Malin walks on by him, further down this crystalline path. Milfane thinks to kill him, but decides to follow instead. It's then that a second Dramora appears. Milfane would have laughed if he was capable of such a thing. The Dramora didn't stand a chance. A third awaits at the end of the path. Milfane kills him, too. Or he kills its soul? It's only now that he wonders just exactly what he is here. Is this his true body or a representation of it? Is his soul now bound here with Malin and these demons? 
and the demons. Is that what becomes of the souls of men trapped in this place, or are they from another realm of oblivion? When at last there are no other paths, Nofin has sort of followed Malin down this crystalline path, and there's been these little branching alcoves and, and little walkways here and there, and there are always just Dremora there that he fights and he kills, and they all look the same, they all cast the same type of spells, and, and Nofin wonders if these are almost different shades of, of Malin himself, but... He pursues Malin down this path, and when he gets to the end, there's another crystalline, huge crystalline structure jutting out, and he looks all around it, but there's nowhere else to go, and Malin still doesn't seem hostile. You know, he's essentially just a soul trapped in this dream, this this soul gem here. And Nelfin, at that point, he's like, okay, I don't want to be in here myself. I'm not trying to be trapped inside of a soul gem forever. Uh, so he, he does the only thing he can do, and he cuts down Malin. You're welcome he says as he drives his swords through Malin's chest because he, he thinks he just did him a favor this man was going to be trapped inside the soul gym forever but with this death of his soul or this purging whatever it is in a way he's free even if he's dead death is freedom and with that Malin dissolves and at last the star is purified uh, he, thankfully, Nilfane is, is drawn back out of the star and is not left there to die. And Azura bequeaths it to Nilfane. Uh, and then she is gone, and he is free. All of the last few weeks worth of traveling and, and fighting and dreams and voices and service to Azura, it's over. Just like that. Aranea the prophet congratulates Nilfane and praises him for a job well done and she offers him her assistance if ever he should need it but she is dismayed now that Azura is gone and will offer no more prophecy but it was her will that spoke to you and brought you here to purify the star so all is well Aranea says it wasn't her who brought me here Nilfane says she furrows her brow of course it was I received the prophecy of your coming that may be so, Nilfing continues, but it was not her voice I heard guiding me here. The voices of my ancestors led me here. She frowns again. I see. Very well, then. She seems very uncertain and, and confused, and Nilfane is... I mean, he, he's a little bit ambivalent to that. He doesn't really care that she's confused, but he doesn't really know why she's confused either. Nilfane bids her farewell and journeys south. He now has the star. He now has the, the star of Azura, this super mega soul gem but he has no idea what to do with it and that feeling of warmth and satisfaction that he had gotten um i guess by doing the behests of his ancestors that that feeling has not yet come to him and so that night he gets a room and he sleeps he dreams of that burning house again that went off in the woods. He dreams of figures standing around him. They point at him, chanting words he can't understand before turning back to the house. That's a clear enough sign. He wakes and heads south, thinking that this is where the ancestors told him to go the first time. This is the first thing that he dreamt of, this burning house that ended up having his family name attached to it somewhere. He thinks, well, why? Might as well listen to it now. Maybe, maybe there's something more to this. Within two days, he's in Riften, and then off into the woods to find that old burning house where he was first led by the spirits. The sun is setting and the forest is burning gold. He's nearing the area where he believes the house to be. 
but something gets his hair standing on end. He turns just in time to see a shimmering figure lunge towards him. He rolls back and the figure's invisibility potion dissolves, revealing a Khajiit wearing the armor of the Dark Brotherhood. Hello, Nilfane. I wish Dylan was here. He purrs. <laughs> Hello, Nilfane. <laughs> he purrs. Did you forsake us? He draws a second dagger and lunges for Nilfane, who draws his own swords and begins the dance of death. He doesn't recognize this assassin, but he supposes it's only natural that they would come for him after he abandoned them in his contract. This Khajiit is not half the fighter Nilfane is, but he has energy and youth and ferocity. All things Nilfane lacks. They spin and meet steel on steel in the dusk. Each time Nilfane goes in for a killing strike, the Khajiit rolls away and is back on his feet before Nilfane can counter. He really has grown old this past year, Nilfane thinks. Fine then, perhaps this Khajiit will be the one to kill him, to hold him accountable for his time in the Dark Brotherhood. That's fine, that's balance. But even still, Nilfane keeps his swords at the ready. The assassin comes in in a blur of rushing, whirling steel. His fighting style not unlike Nilfane's own. But in a fight like this, swords beat daggers. With each counter, Nilfane moves half an inch back, steadily drawing out the distance between them, until finally the Khajiit is off balance, overextends, and that's enough. Nilfane catches him across the chest with both swords. The Khajiit drops down, spitting blood and laughter. The black sacrament has been performed, you poor fool. The Khajiit purrs. The eye of death is upon you. That's fine, Nilfane says, driving his sword through the assassin's neck. The ancestors are still silent. He's tired, but it's time to keep going. Snow begins to fall as he reaches the house. He hadn't noticed the clouds moving in, only the growing dark. The fire is gone now, of course. The house isn't still burning. As are the Dark Elf and the Nord Nilfane killed last time he was here. The cultists, or demon worshippers, whatever they were. But now there is somebody here, somebody else. A man, sitting quietly in the ruined house. He looks up at Nilfane, his red eyes glowing. It's hard to see in the pitch black, but Nilfane knows he's a Dunmer. And he sees the man's teeth shine as he smiles at Nilfane. Hello, brethren. What a pleasant meeting this is. He stands up, and Nilfane hears the heavy clank of armor. The man steps out. It's dark, but Nilfane can make out the shield and heavy mace in the man's hands. So do you have it? The man says. Did you bring it? Nilfane remains silent. The man smiles again. Nilfane can see it, even in the dark. The star, the man whispers, and that whisper is familiar. Did you bring my star? Nilfane's stomach turns. The man reveals himself to be Vilfen Nilzeril, a distant cousin. You see, the ancestors can be manipulated, Vilfen says. Spirits sometimes are more malleable than the living. She would not listen, it seems. He points at the house, and Nilfane remembers the body of the woman he had found when he'd first come upon the place. With family artifacts held hostage, one's ancestors might just go and do anything you desire, Nilfane continues. I wanted that star, so I put out a call. Turns out, I could only reach those with Nils or real blood. Isn't that funny? There were others, with thinner ties. And then there was Ferric, of course. I believe you met him here not too long ago. Killed him, too. And of course now, Nilfane remembers the Dark Elf that he fought here, um, and how he also called him brother, and he didn't know if there was any actual tie there, but um, it appears that he in some ways was related to that man. 
That man would have used the star for himself, he says, speaking of Farrakh, the other Darkoth. He thought he was communicating directly with the Daedra, the fool. Vilfen laughs. And then I found you, the perfect killer. But I'm good at killing, too. Now, if you don't mind. The man doesn't even stretch out his hand to to take the star or anything like that. He's just got his shield and his mace up. He's just, he's just ready to kill for this. There are many things that Nilfang despises. Being used is certainly one of those things. The man's heavy armor is a new challenge. Usually when he is fighting a heavily armored opponent, Nilfane has the advantage of stealth, or range, or speed, but it doesn't look like it's going to be that easy here. He draws out his swords. Normally he would set them spinning in his hands, sort of creating optical illusions or getting momentum moving, but he just holds them low and waits for Vilfen, who may be some sort of cousin of his. He waits for this other dark elf to start approaching him. He doesn't like to have to be reactionary, but... He also doesn't know what his opponent here is capable of. So with his swords held low, he waits. He keeps stays light on his feet, and Vilfen comes in with the mace, swinging hard, down, thuds into the dirt, time and again, shooting up rocks. He takes a chunk out of the side of a tree nearby. Uh, a few times he's, he even catches Nilfane in the arm, or as Nilfane deflects a blow from the mace, uh, he chips a bit of his blade away, and Nilfane realizes that he, he's sort of um, on the defensive here. He's being, he's being pushed back, and it's not an effective way to fight. He's not making any ground. Every time he swings in, the man has his shield there, or his mace there, or is moving back himself, and it's only after several minutes that Nilfane is finally able to get one blade up under the man's left hand, sort of diving towards his shield arm, while the other blade goes low for his leg with this kind of widespread attack, one up above, one down below with both swords. Uh, and it's an incredibly vulnerable position, but he sort of forces the dark elf to drop his shield. And it's the first real major victory Nilfane has in this battle, is getting the shield out of this man's hand. Okay, now it's just weapon on weapon. And now it's sort of the the standard way he's fighting. He's looking for openings in the armor. He's poking here and there with this sword. Sometimes he's drawing a little bit of blood, but the armor, it looks like it's ebony armor, something strong, something tough, and it's not going to be easy to, to get through, especially with his weakening, dulling blades here. It's He's using all of his ferocity and all of his energy, but he's still weakened from the fight with the necromancer, from weeks of traveling, from the battle with the Khajiit assassin just, you know, two hours ago. Uh, he is not in, in fighting condition, and, and Nilfane even thinks if... If he had just been a little bit more prepared, if he hadn't been so thrown off over the last few weeks with the voices and the quests, if, if everything had been as normal, he could have crept up on this house, bow drawn, ready to fire an arrow at anybody, because that's what the old Nilfane would have done. He wouldn't have waited for anybody to talk to him. He would have thought, I've been led here, I should just shoot this man. But under normal circumstances, he wouldn't be at this house in the middle of the woods. So they fight, and, they, and they, they keep fighting, and Nilfane is able to get a few more cuts in, but he takes a few hits along the way. Uh, and it's finally when it seems like they're both starting to tire out that Vilfen swings up heavily with his, with his mace, forcing Nilfane back on his heels. But instead of pursuing Nilfane, he steps back. A purple light appears in his left hand, and he aims it forward at Nilfane, casting a spell. And Nilfane knows immediately what it is. It's a soul trap spell. And Vilfen has just cast it on him. He feels this purple light sort of surround his whole body. Uh, and he, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like anything, but he knows it's there. He can sort of see it. He can feel it crawling on his skin. Damn it all. 
This is not good, he thinks. They're both weak. They've both been fighting for a few minutes now. They've traded blows. They've traded blocks. They've dodged. They've twisted. They've turned. But this soul trap spell, this purple light, will not fade away from Nilfane. If he loses now, it would not be good. It's just then that Vilfen's mace cracks into Nilfane's ribs. He feels himself buckle, and he drops back. The armored elf brings the mace down twice more into Nilfane, once shattering his left arm, causing Nilfane to drop his sword. The other blow strikes him in the neck, nearly snapping it. Death then, Nilfane thinks. So be it, but not yet. Not while the soul trap spell still remains. He ignores the pain and stumbles backwards, a single sword clutched in his right hand. Vilfen screams out a battle cry, beaten and bloodied himself, but no less determined to win. Nilfane screams as well. He's never done such a thing, but this sort of primal life force, whatever's left in him, comes out with all the pain and all the violence and all the fighting and all the killing. He lets out a scream. Vilfen raises up the mace over his head and brings it down hard onto Nilfane. But Nilfane has already dropped into a slide, a desperate move that still costs him a blow to the back, but it's enough to slash Vilfen in the thigh, dropping him down. Nilfane, bleeding and broken and bruised, climbs on top of this Vilfen, this defiler, this man who made him believe that he was in touch with his ancestors to manipulate him, this man who had just been using him and his blood to achieve something that Nilfane has nothing to do with. He has just been a puppet this entire time. He raises his sword up over this man's heart and plunges it in. He rips the sword back out, staggers back to his feet, but only long enough to collapse again against the side of the house. Nilfane looks up at the falling snow. Skyrim, as ever, nature, as ever, is indifferent. Nature will go on long after he's dead. The only thing more ambivalent towards death than a weapon like Nilfane, it seems, is the ceaseless passage of time. And now it seems to have crawled to a stop. Nilfane doesn't feel the pain, doesn't feel his ragged breaths, doesn't feel the betrayal of his ancestors. All he can feel now is the sword still clutched in his hand. He waits for death to bring him down. That's fine, he thinks. That's fine. I've earned this. He's too tired now to notice the purple glow of the soul trap spell still emanating from his body. When Nilfane Nilzaril dies, Azura's star, the most powerful soul gem known to man or myrrh, takes his soul, trapping him with no one there to claim his power. The snow falls on the body of the Dark Elf as he breathes his last, sword still clutched in hand, his soul now bound to the star, somewhere in some far corner of sky. And that, my friends, is the end of Nilfane's chapter of the Ebonheart arc. Coming up with an ending for a character is, is kind of strange when it's normally be like, okay, I've finished the, the Fighter's Guild and now my character's done. Um, with Skyrim, these characters always seem to go on and on and on, but I had to come up with an ending and uh, this this is where I ended up. And I don't know if this will be the end of Nilfane for sure. He's His soul is somewhere for sure. But uh, anyway, I hope that 
you guys enjoyed that and i am looking forward to hearing sings by moons uh, finale and i hope you guys are too so check that out uh it should be up within two days of this one so if you're listening to this anytime in the future it's probably the next episode in your feed anyway uh thank you for listening you can follow us on twitter at pretenders guild and send us your stories i think you still have a week to do that uh you can also send your stories to the pretenders guild at gmail.com i will put those links in the description of this uh podcast in the in the show notes i'll throw them in the show notes man i need dylan as my co-host all right see you guys next time later (laughs) 